0: Hello and welcome to Trashy Royals, our little court of royals behaving badly in all times and in all the lands. My name is Stacy,
1: Alicia here, lords and ladies, and oh my. In our continuing journey of nobles being naughty, I have to stick with the Romanovs today. With perhaps the winner of terrible rulers as women go, Empress Anna Hmm. of Russia. Historians refer to Empress Anna's 10-year reign as the dark era oh, in God. Russian history. Wow, just because in Russian history... It's also light and it's fuzzy. Right, mm-hmm. right. Everything
0: was great except for this one decade.
1: No, it, it really wasn't. There's was <laughs> really a wasn't. lot of dark eras in Russian history, but Anna's 10-year reign was particularly terrible stands out one minister said Anna's time on the throne was quote comparable to a storm threatened ship manned by a pilot and crew who were all drunk unquote Anna was vengeful and bitter-hearted and completely unhinged (laughs) great she was illiterate as well with appalling manners and well not much in the looks department Author Thomas Carlyle described Anna and her cheeks looking like a Westphalian ham. Wow. But what Anna lacked in charms and personality, (laughs) she made up for with her gifts in cruelty. With a special panache for punishments and torture, for which Anna made sure to use every single chance she was able For Anna was very, to an extreme degree, really paranoid about conspiracies against her. Let us anon. (gasps) With the very dark, very cruel, and very cold as ice, trashy tale of Empress Anna of Russia. Yikes. to bring Anna into the picture for this one. We covered Peter the Not-So-Great a few weeks ago. I recall. Anna is Peter's niece. Okay. Okay, so it's during the initial part of Peter the Not-So-Great's reign that Peter had a co-czar, his half-brother, the V. No one ever really mentions this because the V was there for really mostly ceremonial purposes Avon is extremely mentally and physically ill throughout his life with unexplained spells where Yvonne just goes into a vegetative state without warning. Wow. So sort of a silent partner, I guess, <laughs> of Peter the Great. Wow. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's great for Peter. It's well, not yeah. great for Yvonne. Sure. To kind of give you an idea of how unimportant he was, Avon was known as Avon the Ignorant. But as sons need to, marriage is important, mm-hmm. and Yvonne will marry for political reasons. This is to Praskovia Saltikova. This is not a marriage based on love. How could it be when you're in vegetative states? But Praskovia is there to have children, sons, mm-hmm. hopefully. But alas, it is five daughters that Praskovia oh. has. And this essentially is how Anna's ill-fated reign happens. We're going to get there. Proscovia might not be in love, though, with her husband, Yvonne, but she is into obligation and duty. Her girls have some rules to uphold. So let's talk about little Anna, born January 28, 1693. And for the first three years of Anna's life, she lived a lavish life at court as the co-monarch's daughter. Let the good times roll. Little baby Romanov running around. Having a great time. But Anna, very sadly, Yvonne dies at a tender age for him, 29. In 1696, his daughter Anna, three years old. After that, Proskovia and Anna's sisters only three of those daughters survive. So Praskovia, Anna, her two sisters, move away from court. Anna, isolated, just kept inside the house. And her mom, Proscovia, is very old-fashioned, very religious. Again, it's thrift and charity and duty and honor. And also, Mama doesn't believe in too much education for girls. Right. That'll just spoil them. Of course. They know folklore and some, you know, conversational French, but it's not like they're really getting into any kind of hardcore education. Well,
0: you mentioned that she was not
1: literate as an adult, so... Anna remains mostly illiterate throughout her life. It's not book learning Anna's getting. Right. And education, I think, for kids, it's kind of a big deal because when you're not filling your mind with something, your mind tends to go to other things. And for Anna, even as a young girl... Anna showed signs of disturbing behavior. Anna is rude and spiteful and mean and vulgar. Courtiers, start referring to Anna as Ivana the Terrible, Mm. beginning about five years old, if that gives you any kind of clue into her personality. She was just precocious, Alicia. Precocious with with Mm -hmm. a trend towards annihilation you could say so Anna and her mom eventually get called back to the palace they move from Moscow where they've been sort of off to the side and back into st. Petersburg which is great st. Petersburg the big city way more glamorous Anna gets ideas in November of 1713 at the age of 17 Anna is going to get married who is on his groom? Frederick Wilhelm, the Duke of Corland. This is the nephew of the Prussian king. So a dynastic marriage here for sure. But hey, girls need rings and kingdoms need kings and offspring. And the mm-hmm. good thing about this marriage, at least the bride and the groom are about the same age. No, it does not always go that way as we have seen. No, so things are looking good. Mm-hmm. There's a big elaborate wedding planned. Anna's colors are blush and bashful. Like, big deal. Your colors are pink and pink. Big, lavish wedding for Anna by Anna's request. Now, as a wedding gift, Anna is going to get 200,000 rubles from her uncle, Peter the Great. Sure. That's a nice gift. Is Anna going to put a little down payment on a home for... No. Anna's going to spend half of that, 100,000 rubles, on a gold cape and a new tiara. Oh, my God. For her wedding, which is going to be a big deal, hmm. very extravagant celebration and ceremony happening in St. Petersburg. So things are looking promising for Anna. She's got a gold cape. Sure. She's got a new tiara. She's got a husband that is remotely her age, German, even with a jaw like a Westphalian ham. Sure. German husband gonna go great lots of beer oh my gosh schnitzel Speaking of the beer okay oh. <laughs> so the wedding is fine the wedding goes off without a hitch but the wedding reception goes sideways it goes a thousand kinds of wrong Honest uncle peter the not so great remember he likes to force people to drink
0: mm, right. when he's
1: in the mood to party yep. and apparently his niece getting married leaves peter in a Mood to throw down. Sure. So, Uncle Peter, old jolly chap that he is, is going to challenge the Duke of Cortland. The groom. Anna's new groom. Mm-hmm. To a drinking contest. Oh, my God. Do not ever get into a drinking contest with a Russian. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, Russian men take their drinking very mm. seriously. And the groom from Courland, you know, he's ill-matched for the emperor of all vodka contests uh-huh. ever, Peter the Great. So, in fact, poor Wilhelm drank so much that he became extremely sick, and his illness never stopped. So, even after the wedding party gone wrong, alcohol poisoning of some sort, Anna and the Duke of Courland, this is modern-day Latvia, are back in the carriage Getting him home, back to Corland, where Frederick Wilhelm dies. Leaving Anna a humiliated oh, teenage widow who's been married for, for like five minutes. Yeah. Thanks, oh. Uncle Peter.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Now, Anna, oh no, what do I do? I'm now a widow, and I have a dead husband in the cart, so Anna comes on back to St. Petersburg where Peter decides to add to her humiliation. Peter, her loving uncle, will put on a second wedding ceremony, a copycat wedding ceremony. Okay, but her groom has died. Mm Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, this is going to be psychotic, isn't it? Yes, it is going to be psychotic. I learned it by watching you, Uncle Peter. So, Peter puts on a copycat wedding in a very intricate and bizarre court extravaganza where in this farce of a wedding, Peter the not so great had two little people, two dwarves acting as bride and groom standing in for Anna and Prince Wilhelm. And it's not like you could choose not to attend. Right. Every member of the court Mm -hmm. And all aristocracy in Russia were forced to attend this farce of a celebration.
0: So this was just explicitly to additionally humiliate his niece.
1: Correct. Cool guy. Cool, cool guy. Peter the not-so-great. So Anna here, after this fake wedding ceremony, is ordered by her uncle to go back to Corland Without her husband, but under the supervision of a Russian representative. This is Peter Bustavej Rumi. Old Peter has been appointed to head the Duchy of Courland after the death of the Duke. Soon enough, though, Anna and Peter become lovers, which is, I mean, you got to do something. I mean, she's going to get a Duke of Corland somehow. <laughs> Well, Anna wants to remarry, so at some point she does learn at least how to write something. Can I please get married? Yes, no, check one. She'll write over 300 letters to family members, or at least command those letters right, to be right. written. Like, please, can I get married? I really want to get married. I'm over here in Corland. It's cool, Peter. Please let me get married. And Peter, nay, nay, Anna rejects all of those offers doesn't matter so it is 20 years oh my god that anna spends in corland and i'm gonna say ruling but that's in air quotes because peter the great is making corland happen for her with his representatives anna's the figurehead men are running the scene but anna is tall and dark-haired and ample She's a, she's a lot of woman, and here in Corland, she'll keep a gun by her window so she can shoot birds just out yeah. the window when she feel doesn't even need to go downstairs. Yeah. Uh, maybe palace workers let animals foul to be shot as well. Hmm. Anna, just, just out the window. Just, yeah, mm-hmm. lean, lean on out. And, okay. About eight years into Anna's time in Corland, this is about seventeen eighteen a man named Ernest Johann von Byron shows up. He's serving in Anna's household, and Anna falls madly in love with Ernst Johann. Not great for him. He's an impoverished nobleman who had, you know, just happened to have escaped from prison. (laughs) Sure. Where he was serving a sentence for killing a soldier in a duel. Hmm. But Ernst Johann von Byron would remain a key figure in Anna's life and court throughout her reign in Corland and soon-to-be Russia. So let's talk about how we get Anna to Empress Anna. The year is 1730, and Peter is dead. Peter II actually is dead with no designated heir. Okay. And so the Supreme Privy Council was scurrying around to try to find an ideal ruler Who would really be no more than a figurehead? We need someone to put at the top to carry on the Romanov dynasty, but we want to run things. Who, who, who could be a great figurehead? Oh, look, we've had this lady over in
0: Corland who's... She just, like, shoots birds out the window, and the dudes run things, so...
1: Peter's niece Anna. Anna's a great option. She's ideal. She's a childless woman. She's a widow. She's not well-educated. She has zero favorites in Russia because she's been in Courland for 20 years. So the Supreme Privy Council feels like, psh, Anna will be easy to control. We're going to need to limit your actual authority here, but this should be Anna the puppet. Right. Right, it's going to be easy. I'm sure it goes exactly that way. (laughs) So Anna gets summoned from Courland and hey, we want you to sign this book. Of conditions, not just a sheet of paper, but a book. You got to, we have a lot of conditions, but we're going to make you Empress. How cool is that? But before you can ascend your throne. Here's our contract. Right. (laughs) You can't marry ever. Like there's, there's no marriage for you. Anna, you cannot declare war and you cannot name an heir to the throne. There are more conditions and rules, but the Supreme Privy Council really thinks Anna could be kept in line. I'm here to tell you the Supreme Privy Council was wrong. So, very, very wrong.
0: At this point, I'm wondering if they were just wrong or if they were all beheaded later that night, you
1: know? Well, within a week of coming to Moscow and receiving the oath from the nobles and the army, Anna kind of is looking around and she figures out how powerful she could actually be because not everyone is in for the Supreme Privy Council. There's always factions at court, right? So Anna after a week is like, "Mm, I'm going to go ahead and invalidate that condition book that I had previously agreed to. Mm -hmm. We can throw that in the fire. And I've been waiting my whole life to have Any kind of power, Mm -hmm. let it reign. Anna dissolves the Supreme Privy Council in no time at all. She will replace these ministers with a cabinet of ministers of Anna's choosing. And legend says that the night that all of this goes down, there is a blood red Aurora Borealis that Mm. appears in the sky that day. A foreshadowing of what was to come (laughs) with the reign of Empress Anna. Could be true. Now, for a girl who spent half of her wedding rubles on a cape and a tiara, it's probably not going to come as any surprise that Anna doesn't have much interest in actual affairs of the state. Being Empress is really fun. I don't want to run anything. So, her longtime lover escaped prisoner Ernst Johann von Byron is put in charge. And he soon becomes like the unofficial ruler of Russia. Wow. Old Ernst Johann will name himself Duke of Courland and was the chief advisor and like star assistant to Empress Anna. Oh, did I mention that Byron is also married? Not that it matters <laughs> at this point in the story, but you, it's worth a mention. You had not mentioned that. <laughs> Anna will decide to give her highest government and military positions to foreigners because she doesn't trust. She doesn't, A, know anybody in Russia, but if she did, she sure wouldn't trust them. So foreigners are getting all the top spots, which leads to a great deal of resentment, you know, among the Russians. Sure. Especially the
0: Russian nobles who have been vying for power (laughs) their entire
1: lives. Okay. Okay. So let's get to Anna's reign, the 10-year dark era of Russia foretold by the portents. Mm -hmm. All right. Because of the unrest of her people, Anna, unfortunately, becomes very paranoid of all the possible and actually happening conspiracies against her. So Anna will establish a secret chancellery to investigate... Any kind of suspicion she has. Doesn't have to be true. She gets a wild idea that somebody's doing something against her. She's got a whole secret organization to investigate. Not only investigate, but her secret chancellery also has the power to arrest and torture people. So many, many, many folks were wrongly accused and executed at this time.
0: No, the uh, secret police forces in Russia (laughs) have... Never been a problem
1: to anyone. Anna will pretty much set to repealing some of Peter the Great's ideas. So first up is the primogeniture law allowing estates to be subdivided. She repeals that. Anna reorganizes the military. Anna will also decide she can declare war, and Mm -hmm. she'll declare war on the Ottoman Empire which does not end very well for Russia with the peace of Belgrade in 1739. So with Anna's lover, Ernst Johann von Byron, handling governmental affairs, you know, Anna's got a little time on her hands. New grounds to hunt out of, so to speak. New New, windows windows mm -hmm. to lean out of. Which in modern day Russia
0: is very dangerous, I hear.
1: Anna will indulge herself in, well pleasure. Anything Anna can think up, and she's been thinking up things for a long, long time now, Anna gets. She's obsessed with courtly gossip and rumors. She'll have a lot of little birds to give her updates, bringing all the hot goss. Anna really likes to surround herself with jesters. She will continue to be an avid hunter, both on organized hunts and taking her rifle and shooting out the window. So a lot going on, a lot Anna has to do as empress, but I need to let you know about Anna's biggest rival. Throughout her reign, Anna will have an ongoing and intense rivalry with her cousin, Elizaveta. Elizaveta is an actual daughter of Peter the Great. But her mother is not high born. Her mother is Catherine, the one that was renamed Catherine. So right. Okay. Okay. She, Catherine was a peasant woman. She's not noble born. So Elizabetha's is considered illegitimate. But the thing Elizabetha has going for her that Anna does not is Elizabetha is good looking. Elizaveta is considered to be the most beautiful woman in the Russian Empire. I'm sure that rubs Anna all kinds of wrong ways. Well, let me give you a few more fun facts about Elizaveta so you can exactly gauge how incensed Anna is about her cousin. Elizaveta is beloved by the people. (laughs) Not only is she good looking, she was educated in proper courts because Elizaveta is brought up. Russia thinks she will be the wife of Louis the 15th of France. Oh, okay. So she is refined,
0: fluent in all of the languages and worldly and
1: he- but Elizabeth is young at this point, but she's beautiful, she's well educated. They think she's going to be queen of France, right? Elizabetha is hot to trot. Anna obviously hates her guts. Sure. Westphalian ham. Yes. Oh, she's intensely jealous of Aveta. And Anna is terrified that Elizaveta gets a hold of any kind of power because there is a faction working for Elizaveta. They're out of the capital now because they've been banished and replaced by foreigners. Anna can trust no one, least of all Elizaveta. The last thing Anna needs is Elizaveta allying through marriage with a powerful faction. So, Cousin Anna declares that no nobleman could marry Elizaveta. If Elizaveta decides that she wants to marry a commoner, no worries, Elizaveta, you can do that, but I will strip you of all your titles, allowances, claims to the throne. You're done. You can just go be a peasant woman. (sighs) It gets real dicey. There's one day at court. And Ana is so tired of hearing about Elizaveta, <laughs> Elizaveta, Elizaveta all the time and how beautiful she was. Anna asks a Chinese minister at her court who the most beautiful woman in the room was. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Minister, minister on the wall. This poor guy. Anna thought because she was empress, the minister wouldn't dare to declare anyone else in the room more Obviously. beautiful than Anna, because that's what you... Want to do if you're answering the right way, but the minister had an honest streak. The minister pointed to Elizaveta, and said she is the most beautiful woman. And Anna was not gracious in her response. Anna does like to do punishments. So, ooh, let's see. Elizaveta has a few affairs because she's a regular person. She has a particular steamy one with Sergeant Alexei Shubin. When Anna finds out about that, Shubin's tongue is cut out, and then Shubin is exiled to Siberia. I know they're not
0: siblings, but this is a, a level of sibling rivalry that is unfortunate.
1: Yet when you make Anna mad, and sometimes this happens, Elizaveta's factions do try a few attempts at takeovers, but any takeover, any affront against the Empress... Anna's guards will split open your nose with a dagger. Okay, it's not great. No, it's the not, decade of her rule, not great. So let me add to that: that crops are failing, people are eating dirt or grass or each other because there's no food in so, Russia. Famine. Okay. About wow, this
0: is the the. This is dark, actually.
1: (laughs) About 30,000 people get sent to Siberia for grain stocking alone, just like hiding grain so they can feed themselves. Wow. No peasant in Russia has anything. It's bad. Anna's living large, but Russia is really, really bleak. We're eating dirt. We're eating each other. There's no crops. The weather has taken a very bad climatic turn. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. To be fair, I feel like you could hear something good about Anna before getting to the next part of our story. I'm going to try to balance it out the best I can, even though the peasants are starving, they're also getting taxed. And with some of that taxation money, not a lot, but a little bit, Empress Anna will create a postal service. She Huzzah. will she <laughs> so can write to your relatives at Siberia. <laughs> She'll rebuild the navy a little bit. And make a fire brigade for the larger cities. I mean, that's smart. Something. (sighs) Not a lot of money is spent on those because most of Anna's money is spent on, well, Anna. Capes and tiaras. She has many ideas of what factors is amusement in her world. And it's all just pretty trashy here. This next section perhaps is the part that will haunt your dreams, but... It is the tale of Empress Anna. So Anna from a young age, particularly cruel, particularly mean and vengeful. As she's an adult, she loves her favorite pastime really is to play cruel games and even meaner tricks on people. Anna has (laughs) for her entertainment a circus of grotesques. Gotcha. So she's got a little circus with unusual folks. There's Beznoika, the legless mama. There's Tall Daryushka, the handless. And Garbushka, the hunchback. That's pretty bad. But another one of the games in Anna's Circus of Grotesques, she will make, order crippled elderly women to have hair fights where they pull each other's hair, requiring that... (sighs) Blood must be drawn before the fight was over. It gets worse. This is a nightmare. Yeah, okay. Empress Anna, you know, she's got <laughs> to... You can't just shoot stuff with your rifle all day out your window. Another particular favorite of Anna and her entertainment choices was dwarf tossing. <sighs> Anna had a favorite little person named Padrillo or Padrillo, if you're doing the Spanish double L there. Once, when Anna's lover, remember Ernst Johann, mm-hmm. asked if Pedrillo's pregnant wife was as ugly as a goat, he invited the Empress and all of the court to his home where they found Pedrillo in bed with a lactating goat in a nightdress. Apparently, everybody thought this was real hilarious. I'm sure they did. Anna has another favorite little person named Melutin who specializes just one job tickling her feet. Now, I guess it's probably a good rule of thumb not to make Anna mad. I would think. But there are certain courtiers and aristocrats that will make Anna mad and that she despised a little bit more than some other ones. And the one she hates the most. There's nothing that Anna does better than revenge. Top of the list. Prince Mikhail Goylitsen. And although Anna had inherited several court jesters from Peter the First and Peter the Second, Anna really much prefers humiliating her nobles and aristocrats by forcing them to become fools in her circus. They're normally paid jesters for this, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask my nobles to be put in this role. and see Prince Mikhail. Really upset Anna because he secretly converted to Catholicism, which was a no go. Sure. Prince Mikhail did this so he could marry a beautiful Italian girl that he had fallen in love with. Also, probably a no go. Mikhail married his beautiful Italian Catholic girlfriend, but this was done naturally without the permission of Empress Anna, which will not stand, should I tell you? Should have moved to Rome. Anna, upon hearing of the marriage, Orders Prince Mikhail to leave his wife, and he is then ordered to be her cup bearer, for kwas k v a s s. It's a non-alcoholic fermented cereal-type drink. It's it's a bread. It's fermented bread beverage. Bread drink. So you don't let stale bread go to waste. Anna then renames Prince Mikhail as Prince Kwasi to further punish. Him. All of his titles are stripped as well. And that's all pretty humiliating for Prince Mikhail. Oh, sorry. Prince Kwasi. Kwasi. But Anna's just warming up. So Anna makes (laughs) Prince Mikhail dress dresses a hen and sit on a straw basket nest for hours. Hours. Every day just clucking in front of the court. He and the other... Fools in her court that were, you know, Russian nobility a few minutes ago were forced to sit in rows and rows and rows just cackling and clucking for hours. Not in their robes and finery. They're in chicken costumes. Okay. It is so (laughs) strange to me that assassination
0: doesn't happen in situations like this. Like, these are... These are people with massive egos and senses of entitlement. I mean, they are like the noble class. They're in court. It's just odd to me that that something this out of control could just, like, go on and oh, on it, and it on. Goes,
1: we've only got 10 years, so we're, we are going to begin our wind down. I mean, does she die from bad Quas? Because I may know who did it. <laughs> Anna, with a vengeful heart limitless power, and a whole lot of free time. Anna will continue to invest her time in inventing new torments for her chicken-clucking fool, Prince Mikhail. She has a lot of years to practice her cruelty. I would like to enter the part of our story about the Ice Palace of 1740. This doesn't sound good. So the thing I want you to know in 1740, Russia is having a bad winter. And let me set that in context because Russia in the winter is Mm. not like sunshine and honeybees. Right. Cold place. Cold place. Russia in 1740 is having the worst winter in 30 years, in a generation. And the last 10 years, again, have been pretty terrible. No crops. We're eating clay. We're eating each other. Everything in the winter of 1739, 1740, frozen. All the lakes. There's so much ice. There's so much ice that Russian people are going to at least turn this to their advantage, and they begin having frost fairs. All the rivers are frozen completely over, so they set up these frost fairs in all the towns, and at least we can make the best of freezing to death. And starving. And starving, I suppose. Hey, we could eat frost. <laughs> Have we tried the frost yet? Rush is going to make the most of it, and well, so is impersona. There's so much ice, what to do? What is the greatest spell of cruelty I could cast against this chicken-cluckin' fellow that I hate more than I even know? Anna gets some ideas, and this time, Anna's idea is to make Prince Mikhail marry an obese, unattractive, elderly maid. Her name is Avdoitia Buzanina, probably. Probably. Avdotya is nicknamed Pork and Onions by Anna because that's Anna's favorite meal is pork and onions. And Avdoitia has been described as so ugly that even the priests were afraid of her. So Anna wants to set Abdoitia and Prince Mikhail up in this forced marriage, which is pretty bad. But that's not the worst part.
0: So we're just ignoring that he's married to an Italian
1: woman who presumably fled the country. So this history happens a lot of ways on this. Mm-hmm. Some accounts say that his Italian wife <laughs> got the heck back to Italy where she passed away shortly after.
0: Okay, so okay, so possibly he can marry again. Maybe, maybe well, it's
1: bigamy. Maybe it's not. We're not it's really not his, sure. It's not his choice here. It's not no definite I forced marriage. Wouldn't call this bigamy per se. It's a forced marriage, and that's pretty bad. But that is not the worst part. So, huh, uh, the end of January, seventeen forty. What I want to let you know is there's a 12-day celebration that begins the last week of January, culminating February 6th with this elaborate, luxurious, fake wedding ceremony for Prince Mikhail and Avdatoya, similar to her wedding so many years before. But Anna's going to Anna, so you know there are some psychotic additions and twists So this happens February 6th, 1740. Some historians say her birthday was February 7th. And if so, let me tell you, the end result of this would have been Anna's birthday present to herself. Or the aftermath of what she had planned to happen. Okay. For the big wedding, Anna has ordered a man and woman from every single Russian province to attend wearing traditional dress. The Empress and a cavalcade of women in national dress from each of the provinces mm-hmm. have a procession to the new winter palace in carriages. Those carriages are pulled by pigs and dogs and reindeer and camels. And Prince Mikhail and Abdotoya are dressed up as clowns and placed in a cage and paraded through the streets by an elephant so the crowds could jeer and laugh at them. All of that is pretty bad, but it is not the worst part. The elephant parade in clown costumes will lead our future bride and groom to (sighs) the destination of their wedding gift. Anna had an ice palace constructed
0: just for them,
1: just for them to spend their wedding night in. Anna has had hundreds of workers and artisans and architects building an exquisite ice palace. Let me give this is not just a little like some blocks just for the cruelty of the torture. No, the ice palace is 80 feet long, 33 feet high And 23 feet deep, built in the classical style of the day. As you would. Only the best ice was used. Because Russia's got nothing but ice. So they will go find the most crystalline diamond-like ice, the see-throughiest ice, to bring it together. They use water. As the molding agent. Makes so sense. Ev- the ice palace just looks like one big sheet mm-hmm. of ice. <sighs> only the best ice. And all around the ice palace was a frost fair, right? We got a 12 day frost fair going on. And the palace just isn't the only attraction. Anything that can be made of ice and operational is made of ice. There are ice cannons that shoot real ice shells. There's an ice elephant that projects ice water jets into the air. There are ice trees all sculptured with ice birds in the ice trees. There are ice statues. There's a lot of ice. I can't tell you how much ice there is. Anything that you would have in reality In your palace, just make it ice. So this is exquisitely elaborate. Holy catch, yes. And built, you know, in alignment with the Frost Fair, the Mm -hmm. 12-day celebration of Anna's birthday, which is really fun. The only thing not ice in the whole place is the wooden fence around the Ice Palace because this Ice Palace is not meant for the public. The Ice Palace is the sadistic gift for the newlyweds, Prince Mikhail and... Abtoyova, They're going to spend their wedding night in there. And the palace, again, entirely carved from ice. There are ice chairs and an ice clock and an ice toilet and an ice four-poster bed with an ice mattress and ice pillows. There was an elaborate staircase made from ice. There's a log fire made of ice. Okay, so it is very cold and probably... Weirdly beautiful, Anna even goes to the trouble of having that ice fire lit with naphtha. It's mm-hmm. a flammable oil with various hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. So if Anna wasn't going to kill them from the cold, maybe the noxious gas will do. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Anna exacting her cruelty. ha ha. Just before leaving, the prince and his new bride on the cold Russian winter night. They are stripped naked in the ice palace to freeze to death. Anna's like, if y'all just have sex all night, you might be able to keep your bodies warm enough to survive. Good luck till morning, orders the ice palace closed. Guards block all of the exits and Anna, adequately amused, chuckles her way back to the heated palace of reality. The terrible part of this, as oh, wait, <laughs> <laughs> there's more, okay. Prince Mikhail and Avdoitia survive the night in the Ice Palace. What happens? The new bride trades her wedding gift from Empress Anna. Anna had given her a pearl necklace. So she's naked, but in a pearl necklace. And new bride is like, hey, this is the most expensive thing I've ever owned, but I'm going to be dead in the morning. So, she trades that pearl necklace for the fur coat of one of the guards.
0: Okay. Huzzah! Good
1: thinking. Which keeps Prince Mikhail and his new bride from freezing, and they emerge in the morning from the Ice Palace with nothing worse than a runny nose and some frostbite. Okay. Great! Now, it turns out that that bonding experience of almost dying in the Cruel Punishment Ice Palace... Might just bring people closer together. It brings this couple closer together. Accounts do vary about what happens to Prince Mikhail and his new bride, but in some tellings, the two actually stay married. Oh, until long after Empress Anna dies, and so they survive this. Yeah, they, wow. She didn't have the in beheaded. In some accounts, well, because okay. going back to 1740, Anna. Who's expecting her dead enemy in the morning for her birthday gift? Oh, yes, yeah, blockedly. Yeah, a frozen block of dead enemy. Sadly disappointed, which makes Anna even angrier, but spring is coming and ice is melting. And a bonus for most folks in Russia, Anna is also very ill. She would like to make a more terrible punishment for Prince Mikhail, But time is short. Anna has a kidney stone, apparently, that takes months and months and months to work through her system. I would normally feel terrible for someone in that situation, but it sounds like it couldn't happen. No, 1740 is, blessedly, Anna's last year. Okay. So, let's bring it back around. In her final days, Empress Anna desperately tries to make her line of the Romanov dynasty stronger than the claims of Mm -hmm. her cousin. The beautiful cousin. Elizaveta, beautiful, never been married, still just sitting there, Mm -hmm. just waiting. Everybody loving on (laughs) her. Empress Anna has no kids of her own, so she will name her infant grandnephew as heir. And when I say infant, I mean infant He was born in August 1740. There's not a lot of time left for Anna, the infant child. (laughs) Empress Anna appoints her lover, Ernst Johann von Byron, as the regent for the infant child who is two months old when Empress Anna dies of kidney failure. On october seventeenth, seventeen forty, at the age of forty seven years old.
0: Huzzah So does the does the infant I mean does her her lover
1: run the country for a few more decades Well, No, it goes terribly. In the end, Empress Anna loses her long rivalry with Elizaveta after death. Her grandnephew, Ivan the Sixth, rules for like a year because he's a baby. baby. Mm-hmm. So Ernst rules. Correct. elisaveta's faction, who's mm-hmm. been waiting for a decade now, deposes Ivan the Sixth and his regent in a very successful coup d'état. The not even toddler Ivan the Sixth and his entire family was sentenced to life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. So goodbye, Anna. Mm-hmm. Cold as ice, that girl. On a happier note, though, a little bit of a interesting tie through. Empress elisaveta reigned from December. 1741 to January 1762. Wow. Two decades. Yeah. Elizaveta is still considered one of the most beloved Russian monarchs. (laughs) Elizaveta during her reign, probably seeing what came before her, Elizaveta does not execute a single person in her reign and will go as far to abolish capital punishment in all of Russia. Interesting. She's a respected stateswoman, She implements a substantial number of educational reforms. She'll oversee numerous large construction projects. And her 20-ish year reign was a time of great peace in Russia. Doesn't happen often. Huzzah, Elizaveta. Her story and so many more trashy Romanovs to come. Russia does really know how to trash it up. I mean, at least something good followed because... persona, uh,
0: Knowing, you know, the little I know about Russian history, it certainly just could have extended on being terrible. But it sounds like they got some decent leadership after. Wow. So, okay, Alicia, I have to know, uh, this is a doozy. So how many trashy crowns have you awarded
1: to the Westphalian ham? A frost fair. Mm. 12-day celebration of trashy crowns, all made of ice, decorated with chicken feathers wow, and kidney stones. Mm. Impressana might just be the worst, but again we are very early in our trashy royals journey and we have only just begun. I feel like you have to go back to the early stories that we told
0: about some Roman leaders to get Sort of that level of depravity.
1: Anna's pretty trashy. Yeah. Friends, we cordially thank you for your presence at court today. We're going to be back with you next Thursday for another tale of a naughty noble. We're wishing you all the most wonderful week. Fare thee well and good morrow to you. Huzzah! Keep your eye on the throne. Polish up that crown, friends. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye, y'all.